When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone and welcome into wake and take it's your boy jason and we have some football to talk about today we're going to break down last night's football game that happened against the bears and the vikings as well as tons and tons of news stories to talk about so why don't we go ahead and sit back relax sip our coffee and enjoy the show Morning to everyone here in the chat. How's it going, Anthony? How's it going, All City? How's it going, Jess? How's it going, Harry Snowman? All of you guys, so happy to see you here in the chat this morning with me to talk about football. Thanks for tuning in on Instagram as well. Hope you all had a fantastic week 12 and you won all the matchups that you were hoping for. And yes, your boy did advance to the next round of the Scott Fishbowl playoffs, still kicking and screaming. So so I'm feeling good this morning as, you know, the Bears-Vikings football game didn't really do much. There was not a lot of fantasy points scored outside of Justin or outside of DJ Moore and TJ Hawkinson. Justin Fields had a pretty honestly terribly terrible day. Lost two fumbles, only 200 yards, only 60 rush yards, which uh, Pretty surprising. You know, I I really thought that this game in general, this Vikings-Bears game, would be pretty exciting. You know, I love myself some divisional matchups. These are some porous defenses. But honestly, it was a defensive game. Uh, Really, genuinely, not that much to talk about in it from a player perspective outside of these things. First off, Josh Dobbs threw four interceptions. So we could be seeing the end of this kind of Linsanity run, as a lot of people are calling it. The Vikings and Kevin O'Connell said this, that they will be using their bye week, this week 13 bye week, to evaluate their quarterback situation. So Josh Dobbs is not locked in stone as the starter rest of the year. It could be Jaron Hall. It could be Mullins. What's important to know is that Justin Jefferson will be returning after this bye week. So whoever the quarterback is, definitely worth rostering and starting probably even in Superflex leagues with a full, fully healthy arsenal of weapons in Minnesota, that that would be a quarterback uh, in super flex leagues. That would be very, very important to roster. So I'm doing that. I'm picking up Jaron Hall. I'm picking up Mullins just, just in case either of them get announced the starter, because again, Justin Jefferson will be back and that's it. However, I mean, I do think that they, well, I could honestly see the Vikings moving away from Josh Dobbs here. The more I think about it, just because they had drafted Jaron Hall and they might be better suited by seeing what he can bring to the table, they might be able to look at themselves during this bye week and be like, you know what, we aren't actually a playoff Super Bowl contending type of team. We're still a few pieces away from that. And so maybe we could see what this young guy's got, but I don't know. Also, at the same time, it makes a ton of sense to stick with Jobs, Dobbs. So I guess as we hear more about it, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But as of right now, I'm just urging caution in rostering Josh Dobbs and also uh, urging you guys to go ahead and pick up some of these other Minnesota Vikings backups because there's a chance they see the field. 
Now, on the Bears' side of the ball, we finally had a Roshan Johnson game. Roshan Johnson had 10 carries to Khalil Herbert's six. Roshan Johnson had five receptions to Khalil Herbert's two. If you go to the running back snap share, Roshan Johnson had 75% of the Bears' snaps last night with Khalil Herbert only figuring in for 22% of them. Curious to see how this will develop rest of season, but let's be honest here. Roshan Johnson looked pretty decent. Not a ton uh, of points, but still five receptions for 40 yards as well as 10 carries for 35 yards. That's not the worst. I mean, you'd like to see a little bit more, but it's really good to see Roshan Johnson's snap share and opportunities and really everything go up, especially with a fully healthy Khalil Herbert. So Roshan Johnson, yet again, someone you need to add if available and just keep holding on to him because I do think at least in 2024, Roshan Johnson's going to be the guy for this backfield. Some other fun little stats here. This was the first time a team has won this season without scoring a touchdown. So uh, they've you know kicked four field goals in this game. They won 12 to 10. They're the first one to win this season without a touchdown. So a quick little clap for them. But also, you know, why can't you score a damn touchdown? Come on, Bears. Uh, and then also, Justin Fields, after his two fumbles, this was a very, very interesting stat I saw. Justin Fields averages a lost fumble per game. In his 35 career games, he has 35 lost fumbles. So clearly an issue there that, you know, it, it, it seems a little quieter. I mean, you always talk about interceptions with running backs, not necessarily fumbles, but perhaps we do need to be looking at fumbles when it comes to quarterbacks because 35 fumbles in 35 games is not good. I mean, that's why these Bears teams are picking up losses at the end of the day. The turnover battle is so important. And so I think that the Bears might actually be moving on from Justin Fields, guys. I know we've kind of joked and talked about him going to the Falcons or whatever, but with them now probably locked into like the number one pick more than likely with their Panthers pick, they would have another chance here to go ahead and go get quarterback. And Justin Fields just hasn't done what they want him to do in terms of winning games. He's, of course, getting you there at fantasy points, but winning the games has not really happened with Justin Fields. And so I think the Bears might actually be moving on from him after this season, but still very good to roster in Dynasty Fantasy Football. You could get him at a pretty discounted price this week, I imagine. Go ahead and do that. Get yourself some more Justin Fields because I do think he'll turn it around, especially if he lands himself in a little bit better of a situation. Uh, and that's really all we have for you. I mean, DJ Moore, he got himself another 100-yard game, just showing how good he can be with an actual competent quarterback behind there. So that's just really good to see. Cole Komet, yet again, had seven receptions, so getting a ton of usage there as well. So these Bears, they're looking good. They're looking good, just, you know, not scoring touchdowns for some reason. But that's all we have for the Bears-Vikings game. I want to talk about this situation. This is the Panthers head coaching situation. We talked about it a little bit yesterday when brought up in the Panthers game. But as we all know now that Frank Reich has been fired, and this is actually the first coach in NFL history to be fired in back-to-back -back, uh, seasons, if it was like their first season as well. So fired in back-to-back, -back, like first 10 years or whatever. Or no, maybe it was just fired. No, fired before the end of the season in back-to-back -back years. So on the Colts last year is fired. Uh, before the end of the year and now with the Panthers fired before the end of the year he now joins Urban Meyer and Nathaniel Hackett as the coaches to be fired uh, mid-season uh, in their first year of tenure so Urban Meyer of course fired week 13 with the Jaguars I think Nathaniel Hackett around the same time with the Broncos maybe slightly earlier but that's not good company to find yourself in along with Frank Reich being fired Josh Downs and Deuce Staley the quarterback and running backs coach were fired as well I view this as more of an avoiding mutiny type of thing. Deuce Staley and Josh McCown were definitely uh, 
Frank Reich kind of friends and guys. So they will be going with Frank Reich. Uh, probably wherever he ends up, if he ends up anywhere else, but both those guys gone as well. So we're talking about a full overhaul of this Panthers team, which to be honest, I kind of agree with. I really don't think that this coaching staff was the answer for Bryce Young. They didn't really do enough for him, but I can't imagine this Chris Tabor guy is any better. He's been a special teams coordinator basically his entire career. He's done some other kind of wrinkles every once in a while, but for the most part, That's where he excels. And so, yes, we see some special teams coordinators end up as head coaches. You could go back to the Giants head coach a few seasons ago. I think uh, Joe Judge, uh, he was the Patriots special teams coordinator, and then he was a bad head coach. And so I don't know about this Chris DeBoer guy. I'm going to be honest with you. The reason he got this job was completely just because he's been on the Panthers. He was with the Panthers with Matt Rule as well. He's just been there as their special teams coordinator. So David Tepper just went with a guy that's been in the building. But I can't imagine he's actually a good head coach. And this is definitely the the type of interim head coach that will get replaced next season, which, again, a good thing. I mean, they need a head coach. But what I wanted to talk about in this scenario is not just the coaches, because obviously, like, that's the big story here. But I want to talk about this general manager, David Tepper, who at the core, at the root of this issue is the problem. He is a hasty And just kind of bad and impatient when it comes to his decision-making. He now, in the last 18 months, he owns the Panthers and Charlotte FC, the MLS team. He's fired four head coaches. David Tepper's fired four head coaches over the last 18 months across his two teams that he owns. That's not very good. That demonstrates that he's very impatient and wants things to go right, right away. Which is very interesting given his background. You look at David Tepper's background and he is one of the most successful investors really of all time. He makes a a one and a half billion dollars himself. His his personal earnings every year is one and a half billion dollars. That is not including however much money his hedge fund makes. He is a hedge fund manager that he started himself. uh, And he's actually performed in 2018, the third highest earning hedge fund manager in the entire country. So this guy makes a ridiculous amount of money. And that's why he's able to own these teams and do all of these things. And you would think that a guy that's that good at investing and has made it that far with just kind of managing money and identifying whatever good stocks to invest in, that you could kind of do the same with a football team, with a soccer team. It has to have, you have to have patience to be able to do these things. Now, again, I do agree with the Frank Reich firing. I'm not one of those people who are a little upset about it. I think a lot of people are out there saying like uh, Frank Reich deserved a little bit longer, uh, but David Tepper, uh, I think successfully identified that Frank Reich was not going to be the long-term answer. And I think it is good to go ahead and ignore the sunk cost fallacy when it comes to a head coach and just go ahead and uproot the whole damn thing and start from scratch. I do think that this firing in general was a good one, but then I do also believe that David Tepper is not the best owner in the world, probably one of the worst ones uh, and finds himself in plenty and plenty of impatient and hasty decisions. I found this one story, ladies and gentlemen, buckle your seatbelts for this one, because this demonstrates how much of a child this David Tepper is. In 2010, I'll start a little bit further back. Uh, In David Tepper's kind of background, he started out as a hedge fund manager at Goldman Sachs, and he worked with this guy named John Corzine, who uh, was a little bit ahead of him. And at one point, uh, Tepper was up for a promotion within Goldman Sachs. And instead of getting promoted, John Corzine, the guy, you know, the person he knew that worked ahead of him, uh, he decided not to give this promotion to Tepper which then allowed Tepper to leave Goldman Sachs and start his own hedge fund, which he called Appaloosa. 
this is the one where he makes all this money. He still runs all this and everything. But in 2010, John Corzine got divorced. The guy who did not give him a promotion. John Corzine got divorced. And his wife got to keep the mansion. His ex-wife got to keep the mansion. And she decided to sell the mansion because what are you going to do with it? So she sold the mansion to David Tepper. David Tepper bought his old manager who didn't promote him old, old mansion in 2010 for $43 million. What did he do with this mansion? He tore it down. He tore down this mansion that he bought and then rebuilt a mansion, doubled the size on purpose on the same lot of land. And then he went on to say in an interview, you could say there's a little justice in the world. This guy is extremely petty, extremely impatient, and not a good owner. And I can't believe that there's a story out there of this guy having so much money that he decided to essentially burn $43 million by buying his old manager's mansion from his ex-wife just to tear it down and build a mansion twice the size on the same land. That's some storybook shit. That is like, <laughs> that is ridiculous that that's a real life story. Uh, but go check it out. That's David Temper's Matt, uh, mansion story. Uh, interesting stuff there. Kind of shows how what kind of person he is at the core of just being an owner in the NFL. Uh, but yeah, speaking of head coach changes, I did just want to talk about this real quick. Pat McAfee, he came out on the Pat McAfee show yesterday, maybe Monday. Uh, oh yeah, yesterday was Monday and said that he is expecting seven to 10 head coaching changes this offseason, and then went on to say that he will be taking the over. So there's a lot of head coaches that are on the hot seat right now. I mean, we've got Arthur Smith. We had Frank Reich just get fired, uh, and probably even some more that we'll start to talk about right now. Zach Taylor, Bengals head coach. Obviously, he brought them to the Super Bowl a couple seasons ago and has had some success on the Bengals with Joe Burrow only, though. Zach Taylor without Joe Burrow, his head coaching record without Joe Burrow is 4-28-1. and one. If I'm an owner and I see that, then I probably assume that Joe Burrow is the reason that there's so much success on this team and not necessarily Zach Taylor. I do think Zach Taylor is a good coach. He's a good coach, but he's not a great coach uh, at the end of the day and is probably better served as more of a coordinator position on the Bengals than the head coach. So that's someone that could be on the hot seat. And then... Chargers head coach, of course, Brandon Staley. That guy is on the hot seat like crazy. He will probably be fired for sure. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's fired by the end of the season. Chargers with Brandon Staley, with Justin Herbert specifically. So we'll just do this Justin Herbert stat. With 60 games, Justin Herbert has now played 60 games. The Chargers are 30 and 30 in those games. 31, 30 wins, 30 losses. It goes even further. The Chargers in this span have scored 1,508 points. The Chargers defense in this span has allowed 1,507 yards. So we were talking about a perfect, perfectly balanced Chargers team uh, since Justin Herbert has been there and since really Brandon Staley has been there. Uh, so he's definitely going to get fired. There's just not, he's not doing anything there. The, they just keep losing games. The things keep piling up and they just don't look good. And it starts with him. It really does. Uh, he does not establish a good culture there in Los Angeles. You can see it in the interviews, the way he interacts with the journalists. I'm sure that that also bleeds into how he interacts with his players. He seems very, very self-righteous talking about how, you know, he's still calling a really good defense and it's his players that aren't executing. You know, it's just, it's just tiny little things like that that make you a bad head coach. And that is what Brandon Staley has. So I think he will be out by the end of the year as well. 
But we have some things to talk about within the Chargers beyond just the head coach, beyond just Justin Herbert. We'll start with Austin Eckler and then we'll move on to Quentin Johnson. But with Austin Eckler, I've been talking about him having a disappointing season, but haven't necessarily talked about why. You know, understand that we all kind of concede the disappointment. He's not scoring fantasy stats. But this is per Rich Hrebar on Twitter. 35 running backs have 100 plus carries this season. Austin Eckler is 28th in yards per carry. 30th in success rate, 33rd in explosive run rate, uh, which is just really, really bad. And he's also only averaging 3.6 receiving receptions a game, which is his fewest since 2018. So the usage is not there for Eckler and the explosiveness is not there for Austin Eckler. Uh, whether it's, you know, he's finally passed the AJ Pex, I mean, you know, he's 29 years old now, uh, or it's just health or it's just a bad Chargers team. But either way, Austin Eckler... I would honestly go as far as to say is he's not going to be fantasy relevant this season and almost exclusively not going to be able to return his draft capital. His ADP will not be reached. I mean, we we would have seen something by now, at, at least something, and we have it. So Austin Eckler looking like someone you can maybe try to offload to a contending team where they won't actually get the production that they think they might. But let's talk about Quentin Johnston, who on Sunday night was – benched. Quentin Johnson was officially benched on Sunday night and it wasn't because of health. He did get injured, but Brandon Staley did come out and say it was a coaching decision, not a medical decision to bench Quentin Johnston. Here is a tweet to kind of talk about it. This is from Adam Levitan. The Chargers have seen enough. Even with Mike Williams and Josh Palmer out, round one rookie Quentin Johnston only ran around on 39% of dropbacks last night. And he's now down to 0.72 yards per route run. That is 99th out of 102 qualifying wide receivers per PFF. Only Van Jefferson, Allen Robinson, and Terrace Marshall have a lower yards per route run than Quentin Johnston. And that isn't always an issue. Like, it's okay to have a short route tree, a short yards per route run, a short yards per target. Because a lot of times in that scenario... Those players get a lot of volume, whether it's A. Flowers, whether it's Rondell Moore, whether it's a bunch of other players that kind of fit that mold of someone who operates near the line of scrimmage. But the Chargers aren't using him like that. They're using him as a field stretcher, and that is just not what he is. And that, again, goes to the coaching staff. I guarantee if Quentin Johnston was just given four or five screens a game, some drag routes, some quick slants, that he would probably do a little bit better. But instead, they've kind of put a square peg into a round hole with Quentin Johnston and are not properly utilizing him. I don't know how they scouted this guy and drafted him in the first round and aren't playing to his strengths. And so again, I say coaching is just so important because it takes putting the players in positions to succeed. And sometimes coaches like Brandon Staley here in the cho- uh, on the Chargers don't do that. They put players in positions to make their scheme work. And that's not what you should be doing with Quinta Johnston. And, you know, you drafted this player who's a yak monster, a guy who only was good after the catch in college and never demonstrated contested catching ability and never really demonstrated just good catches in general. And yet you drafted him in the first round and have basically been giving him streaks all game, just replacing Mike Williams. That is not the way to utilize this guy So I expect Staley to be gone. And if that's the case, I wouldn't be surprised if Quentin Johnston got a little bit of a chance again uh, just because of the draft capital. I'm sure the ownership is going to say you've got to try with QJ again once they move on. 
So if you can get him for a fourth round pick, a third round pick, or if he's dropped in your dynasty league, I would still pick him up for your taxi squad. I still do think that there's a potential that a new head coach with a brain comes into Los Angeles and utilizes him in a similar way to how he was used at TCU, which wouldn't, you know, give him a massive ceiling. I I admit that, but I do think that he could turn that into a floor just because of the quarterback he's attached to and the potential of this offense. I do think that if he got himself four or five receptions a game, even if it's only near the yard of scrimmage, the line of scrimmage, that he would still get you eight to 12 fantasy points a game. And that's not necessarily something you should be able to complain about um, if you didn't pay up for him. If you spent your first round rookie pick, I mean, he's a bust for sure and you're ready to move on. But if you get him for a third, fourth, or basically free is what I'm saying, and you want to put him in your taxi squad, there's a potential for him to turn things around and be a floor type of player in 2024 with a new head coach. But a rookie wide receiver that was drafted later and is finally bursting onto the scene after, you know, quietly producing. But now to me, I feel like he's finally arrived. I think that this game on Sunday was the coming out party for him. He had over 100 yards, had a touchdown that wasn't just, you know, thrown to him in the end zone. Like it was an actual catch and run type of play. And he looks so good. And so Jacob Gibbs on Twitter points out that in week 12, Rasheed Rice had a 71% route participation, which is a new high, as well as a 31% target share, which is another high. And he actually has a 2.43 yards per route run. So the exact opposite of Quentin Johnston, whereas Quentin Johnson was 99th in yards per route run. Rasheed Rice is ninth among wide receivers this season uh, with 200 targets, finding himself ahead of Pukunakua and Jalen Waddle. So Rasheed Rice is having a much better year than people are giving him credit for. And he's just a rookie. And there's still so much potential on this Chiefs team. Again, if we're going to talk about Quentin Johnston being worth free, then Rasheed Rice is probably worth a first round pick just because of the quarterback and offense he's attached to. A late first round pick right now. We kind of debated this a little bit on yesterday's show. But I think Rasheed Rice is, is definitely trending in the right direction. And definitely at this point kind of locked into his usage. Again, a 31% target share is nothing to scoff at, especially on an offense with Travis Kelsey. And that's, you know, a guy that's also getting about a 30% target share. That shows that Rasheed Rice has not only earned the trust of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, but just kind of has earned himself his own trust and is confident and is playing ball at a really high level. So just a quick little clap to Rasheed Rice as he was so much cheaper than all these other rookie wide receivers. And yet he's producing in a really, really good way and in a consistent way on this Chiefs offense. So go try to trade for him. I'm going to be honest here. Go try to trade for Rasheed Rice, even if it means you have to pay up, because I do think he'll be able to be flexed at the very least with some true upside uh, over his career. So get some Rasheed Rice on your team. We have some injury updates to talk about as well. On Sunday, of course, there's some injuries as we do ex uh, enjoy a very barbaric sport. Some that I saw, there's still not any information really on timelines or anything, but just some important updates here. Dorian Thompson-Robinson is in concussion protocol. Chris Olave is in concussion protocol. Those are the concussed players. Rashid Shahid, his injury is a thigh injury. Uh, not much information on it, just he's battling a thigh injury, could potentially return this week, but probably not. Dallas Goddard, he was never placed on IR. It's been a few weeks now, with including their bye. Dallas Goddard said that he's going to try to return this week against the 49ers, and the Eagles feel that they need him and are also going to try to have him return this week. I'm going to say he doesn't. I know that that's what they're talking about right now, but I think that there's a lot to be able to happen in a week for him to feel good enough to play against that 49ers team. They could definitely use him. But I'm going to say that next week against the Cowboys is when he actually returns. I think that's a little bit more feasible for Goddard to return 
in week 14 as opposed to this week, but still definitely something to keep your eye on if you own Dallas Goddard. He might be back this week, so you might have to be able to clear off a spot on your roster uh, so you can move him off of IR. And lastly, or sorry, not lastly, got a couple more. Luke Musgrave. Matt LaFleur came out and said that Luke Musgrave is uncertain to return this season uh, because of his uh, organ injury that he sustained, a lacerated kidney or something like that. Uh, So he's not expected to be back this season. Go get Tucker Craft for sure. He already scored a touchdown last week, and this Packers offense is really starting to click and fire on all cylinders. Jordan Love looks good for sure as well. So go get yourself some Tucker Craft. And finally, Devon Achan. He was inactive against the Jets. And as we talked about on Sunday last week or Monday last week, that he could have returned to the game. And so we felt that he could return for the Jets game. But Mike McDaniel said that he just wanted to be fully confident in A-Chan's health before returning him and didn't like that it was a short week against a tough defense in the New York Jets. So A-Chan will be more than 100% upon his return against the Commanders. Fire him into your lineup and use this opportunity to buy Devon A-Chan before you can't anymore because it seems like he's now fully healthy and should be good to go uh, on Sunday. And also, we talked about Justin Jefferson returning uh, after the bye week. For the Vikings, that is definitely the case. He will be back for week 14. Some other just fun stats in general, and then we'll answer some questions. Derek Carr, you know, he's been a bad quarterback. You know, he's had some flashes or whatever, but the Saints offense as a whole is struggling to score with Derek Carr under center. Josh Dubow with the AP tweeted this out. Since the last 32 possessions, the Saints have scored three touchdowns. Two of them were touchdown passes from Jameis Winston when Derek Carr was hurt. And another was a touchdown pass from Taysom Hill with Derek Carr on the sideline. So Derek Carr has not contributed to any touchdowns and now 32 possessions for the New Orleans Saints. And that's a really, really big problem. Uh, We did see that he was finally connecting with Chris Olave. So potentially when Chris Olave comes back, Derek Carr could look a little bit better. But again, I say Saints, why the hell aren't you just starting Jameis Winston? It would be so much more fun and better. He scored more touchdowns than Carr has over the last 32 possessions as if that's a stat that really matters. But still, get Jameis Winston in there, Saints. Derek Carr is not the answer. And Mac Jones is also not the answer. This was awful. This stat I saw is awful. Mac Jones' passer rating was 27.8 off of his 21 pass attempts. Ben Valin on Twitter tweets out, if he were to go 0 for 21, so instead of completing any of his passes or throwing interceptions, he just threw the ball into the ground, spiked it 21 times, he would have had a higher passer rating. He would have had a 39.6 passer rating if he went 0 for 21, as opposed to his two interceptions and less than 50% completion percentage. That shows how bad Mac Jones has been. It is not just him. I will also go as far to say as Bill O'Brien is not the answer to be the coordinator here on the Patriots. And I do expect the Patriots to go full rebuild next season, get rid of Bill Belichick, get rid of Bill O'Brien, trade away Mac Jones, and just start anew because this team has way too many broken holes and there's so much to fill that I I can't imagine it getting fixed with the current staff on hold. Uh, They've got to move on. They've just got to cut bait. We talked about David Tepper, this the sunk cost fallacy uh, with, with uh, Frank Reich. They've got to do the same thing here with Bill Belichick, with Bill O'Brien, with Mac Jones, because these guys are clearly not the answer. There's something going on, whether they don't work together well, Mac Jones doesn't understand the offense or what, but it's just a really, really bad year for him, and it's not going to get any better. So let's check it out. Do we have any questions from the chat this morning? Um, Let's see.
Yeah, Harry Simmons says, guessing Reich is wishing they had drafted Stroud. And yeah, it's actually well reported at this point that Frank Reich had lobbied for CJ Stroud and actually didn't want Bryce Young on his team. The same with Josh McCown. He had also been asking for uh, CJ Stroud. So I'm sure sure that this story uh, or this whole situation comes really to that. It really, really boils down to that quarterback disagreement. We saw it in Miami too with Brian Flores, how he didn't want Tua to be his franchise quarterback. He wanted Tom Brady. And so when these, when these, uh, with these people, when, when the, with the front office and the coaches disagree, the coach is just going to be sent away. Uh, and you know, Bryce Young just wasn't good under, and under Reich either. And I do think that this is a problem. So anyway, Anthony says, I could tell you about every dumb thing Temper has done in five years, I'm sure. <laughs> what the hell do I do with T. Higgins? Do you drop him and pick up Josh Palmer or Noah Brown? Uh, you just, I mean, honestly, I would, I assume your trade deadline's gone. You could honestly probably drop T. Higgins. I'm not going to lie to you. Jamar Chase only got six targets. I can't imagine T. Higgins gets more than like four. Uh, so yeah, you could probably drop him and redraft if I'm going to be honest with you. I would go with I mean, I guess Josh Palmer, I guess he will be returning soon. That's an interesting pickup uh, because of how bad Quentin Johnson has been. It's just Keenan Allen right now. I think Josh Palmer will actually be really, really startable going forward. So you can get him. Let's see. Jamie talks about Roshan. Let's go. Let's go, Roshan. All third down plays as well. I did not mention that. So great job for Roshan. So good. Would you trade Chig and a 24 first for Trey McBride? Nah, no, you go on to mention that it's a higher 24 first. I don't think so. If it was a lower first, maybe, or a second, definitely. Uh, oh, by higher, you mean 7 to 12? <sighs> yeah, I don't. It's very, very close. I would ask, I would do this. I would do Trey McBride in the first for, or Tri- Chig in the first for Trey McBride and a third, maybe, or another player or something. But I feel like you've got to get a little something, something else on top of Trey McBride, because I do think Chig will be better next season for sure. Kyle on Instagram asks how to move forward with Jamar Chase. Is he still a must start? Yes. Jamar Chase is still a must start. Uh, His ceiling is definitely capped, but he's still going to get you the floor and still probably, I wouldn't be surprised score some 20 point games uh, at least a couple times rest of season. You're not going to get the 35, 40 pointers, but still Jamar Chase is still 100% must start rest of season. And uh, who could you get for Puka and Swift? They're the wide receiver four and running back four on your team. Uh, I would just try to tear up maybe, or honestly, man, I would just ride the course. I mean, you have no idea what could happen regarding injuries. Both of those guys have an interesting trade market. It's really hard to see what you would get for them. Uh, I would be exploring like Jonathan Taylor, like that kind of range. Like you want a true like top six option at either position. If you're going to package those guys for someone. And then Nico, Metcalf, Deontay Johnson are cut for PPR pick one. I'll go with Nico Collins this week. Cup hasn't been doing anything. Uh, Deontay Johnson is a drama queen. And DK Metcalf has also been iffy. So I'll go with Nico. Start two, Mixon, Singletary, Pacheco, Charbonnet. I'm going to go with Pacheco. And we'll go with Charbonnet if Kenneth Walker is out again. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for bearing with sick Jason as I tried my best this morning to, to power through. But uh, uh, as always, as always, love spending my morning with you guys. You guys have been a fantastic audience. I hope I gave you enough information on today's episode. And I hope to see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. on the Player Profiler YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. You all have a fantastic day. 
and a terrific Tuesday. Wonderful rest of your week. Peace.